This is episode number 133 with Dr. Jeff Spencer. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? This episode is brought to you by My Wellness Community, empowering every home to live a more natural lifestyle. You can choose from over 300 natural wellness products to be delivered to your door for up to 55% off the retail price, making living the wellness lifestyle easy, cost-effective, and super convenient. Join the movement that spreads wellness across the globe at mywellnessessentials.net. Dr. Jeff Spencer has been in the high-performance world for over 40 years, helping individuals, leaders, teams, and organizations in sports, business, and entertainment break out to become full potential players personally and professionally. Jeff is a former American cyclist who competed in the 1972 Olympics. He has coached, mentored, and advised some of our generation's greatest achievers from Tiger Woods to U2 and Bulletproof to Nike. Jeff is now cornerman to leaders of industry, world-class athletes, and iconic performers. He works behind the scenes, committed to developing these world-class achievers into superstars in their field. And in today's episode, we chat about his story from dreaming of becoming an Olympian at age seven to making that a reality to where he is today, his powerful goal achievement roadmap. This is awesome. You guys are going to love this. Why you need to master your mindset and get your mind in the game to achieve your goals. The two different types of mindsets he talks about. I love this and why you need to master both. Why we all need mentors in life. How to leave a powerful legacy. What he attributes his success to. This was awesome. You guys are going to love this. Plus so much more. And for everything that Jeff and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 133. And before we dive into this episode, I want to read the review of the week. And that comes from Emma J. Harry. And she says, inspiration and then some. We've got a great range of interview topics with show notes that really help to keep you on track long after the inspiring podcast ends. I'm a long way from living my best life, but so much closer to it because of the help from this podcast. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you, Emma, for that beautiful review. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. And without further ado, let's bring on the amazing, the super achiever, Dr. Jeff Spencer. 
Welcome, Jeff. It is so great to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Well, that's actually nothing <laughs> because I was a little bit late for something. So I was on the bike early and off to the races. And I then uh, had a couple of shrimp tacos, actually. Interesting. That's a very interesting choice for breakfast. Well, it was actually at least four hours after I got up because we had some technical difficulties getting the day started, should we say. And eventually I got to that place where it seemed like shrimp tacos were the way to go. Lovely. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show and you have an amazing story. So can you take us back and share with us your journey and how you got to where you are today, doing the work that you do now and being known as the corner man. How did this all happen? When I was seven years old, I thought the coolest thing ever would be to be in the Olympics and walk into the stadium on the opening day ceremony and walking and marching in the parade. I thought that'd be the coolest thing ever. So I had this self-starting gene where I never needed to be motivated. So I got involved in cycling and then devoted myself at 10 years. I drew my little plan on how I was going to become an Olympian. I gave myself 10 years to do it. And then 10 years later, I was actually an Olympic cyclist for the U.S. United States Olympic cycling team. And that was a pivotal moment for me because it taught me what it really took to get to the pinnacle. And I think that unless you've been there, you can't possibly study enough to really understand the nuances of it. And part of that process, the last time I saw my dad when I was 13, and I found out 30 years later that he died homeless on the streets of New York City. And he was literally a genius with every ounce of talent and and will anybody could imagine. So that kind of debunked the myth that will and talent are enough to get you to be a full potential player. And so I realized that there was more to it than that. And then I was studying sports science in the university while I was training for the Olympics. So I eventually got a master's degree in sports science. So with that background, people in sport came to me that wanted to win gold medals and wanted to become a highly paid professional athletes. And then business people came to me that wanted to become their own champions. And I became an advisor to them on how to do that. And then I got a lot of questions asked about, well, how do I get and stay well? from the business people because they saw that most of their colleagues and peers were blowing themselves up prematurely and succumbing to early catastrophic illness or relationship failure. And they didn't want to repeat that or be part of that. And the athletes knew that if they had too many injuries too often, that they would shortcut their career and never become what they could be. So I decided to go back to school, which I did to become a primary healthcare provider so I could diagnose and treat injuries and maintain a level of wellness that would allow a person to perform at their best consistently over time and create the best legacy possible. So with that wide breadth of understanding of what it took to get to the top and stay there, a lot of people that were peak performers in their disciplines, whether it be sport, business, or entertainment, came to me as like the guy that could figure out the work of 10 different specialists on how to prescribe and create an individual plan for me to be able to get to the top of my game and stay there. And that was really the process that I went through. Wow. Okay. And so you have worked with and you've mentored people like Tiger Woods, you two, Bulletproof, Nike, plus so many other world-class performers, entrepreneurs, athletes, and creatives. 
Tell us what you teach them. What are the foundations that you teach them to achieve greatness? For everyone listening, how can we do it? Well, I think the first thing to realize is that greatness is not an accident. It's purposeful by design. And there has to be a structure that the hope and the dream is placed in that can usher it through life's minefield to manifestation. And that's the first and foremost thing to, to really be mindful of is that Again, there needs to be a structure. So what I've I've done over my 40 years plus experience in the high performance world is I've actually created a model that I use with my clients, whether they be individuals, business people, teams, or organizations. And it's called the Goal Achievement Roadmap. And there are kind of two basic things that we always need to keep in mind is that we need to prepare well to be able to perform at our best. And so my motto is, you do the homework and the test is easy. And there's essentially five different steps to making sure that you prepare correctly to be able to effectively start pursuing your goal. So preparation, you have to get goal clarity because when we're clear on our goal, we have goal focus. We can attend to details that need to get done to advance our progress towards goal completion. It also gives us a situational awareness. The second thing we need to do is to really understand and have the right motives that are the basis for which we're pursuing our goal. And when we have the right motives, it gives us drive. And certainly we have to have the drive to be able to stay in the game long enough to achieve goals, especially the more loftier goals. The The third part of preparation is impact. I feel that people really need to take a look and think about in advance of pursuing their goal, what the impact of their goal is going to be on themselves, on others, and on the world around them. And when we look at the impact of our goal, what that does, that changes our level of purpose that extends more than just what's in it for us, but what's the impact of our work on others and our families, on nature, and on society in general. And purpose is extraordinarily important because it's like a core conviction to be able to start and finish the process of goal achievement. And then step number four in preparation is mindset. And when I'm talking about mindset, I'm talking about the ability to respond from that part of our human nature that's innately driven towards achieving excellence. And we do have an excellence gene within us that kind of compels us to create a life of contribution and value. And why that's important is that champions have learned that there are certain things that they do that creates the mindset that makes the extraordinary, their normal, rather than the occasional exception. And when we know what those principles are, then it gives us courage, which is probably the rarest of all human attributes. And when we have courage, we have an unconditional willingness to be able to to pursue our goal. And the final part about preparation that's really essential is to make sure that we have sufficient resources to begin. We need energy, we need time, we need team, we need knowledge, we need skills, we need financing, and we also need materials. And so when we have a sufficient amount of that, and we have vetted ourselves, and we have different types of capacities necessary to achieve our goals, then we really trust our preparation. And at that point, then we can safely and prudently and responsibly begin pursuing our goal. And so When we go boots on the ground and we're actually pursuing our goal, it's really critical that we start correctly so we get 
an early success that confirms to us and our team that the goal pursuit and the goal is actually real because now it can be named and there's evidence of progress. The next thing I think we need to be mindful of when we're pursuing a goal is that there's always a honeymoon phase where we're all excited about the prospects of achieving a goal, but eventually, like all honeymoons, the motivation is going to drop. And when it drops from what it originally was, it's extremely important that we don't mistake that for being a wrong goal or an incapability of pursuing a goal. It's really a sign that we're actually making progress. But many people construe it as, well, my motivations drop, so now it must mean it's not the right goal or I can't do it. And that's not what it means. And we need to make sure that we actually anticipate that happening so we don't talk ourselves out of the progress that we've already made. And then the next part of this is, is probably even the most critical. And that's what I call the daily grind. And that's when you're pursuing a goal and you're getting up every day and you're putting on your shoes and you're putting everything you've got into the process and you just don't feel like you're getting anything close back to the rewards or the results that we deserve for the time and effort that we're putting into it. And this is a time where people become really kind of mentally vulnerable because they've been in the process for a while now, mental battle fatigue is starting to set and then they start to question the merits of the goal. Like, you know what, maybe I should quit while I'm ahead and still have something left. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. And all I can say to everybody is that if you find yourself in the daily grind and you've got a sound plan and the metrics are improving and there's evidence of that, but you don't necessarily see it, if you just hang in the game long enough, I can assure you that the promise of the daily grind is is that one day you're going to get up and you're going to see that you can actually do this and you're going to believe that you can do it. You'll think you can do it because there's a certain part in you that sees that if everybody else can do it, then so can I. It's a really important part to hang on to, and it's a certain milestone that we need to anticipate. Then the next thing that's really critical is that once we have that belief, then we need to go from belief to knowing, meaning that when we believe we can do it, we kind of think we can, but there's still just a little bit of doubt. And when we get to that point where we know we can do it, we have the certainty that we can, then it's essentially game over. And the way that we go from belief to knowing is to create what I call a breakout. And a breakout is an experience that we have that we name in advance that when we achieve it, it's a bit like an equivalent to the goal itself, but it's not the goal, but it shows us and our team and everybody else around us that we're essentially completely capable of achieving the goal because of the evidence that we just created. So for an example, the breakout that I had when I was aspiring to become an Olympian, I knew that for me to become an Olympian, if I could beat a national champion or I could beat an Olympian, I could become an Olympian. Because I beat him, it didn't mean I was an Olympian, but it was an equivalent. So when I beat one in a national championship, I knew that I could do it. And then I just needed to complete the final step, which is to finish the job and become an Olympian. And so once we have that breakout and we know that we can do it, this is where we need to finish the job. And a lot of times when we get really close to the finish line, sometimes what we do, we try to rush to the finish line to get there as quickly as possible for fear that if we stay in the game longer, that we may fumble the ball, we may botch it. But oftentimes what happens when we feel that impulse to rush to the finish line We trip and fall before we get to the finish line. And if we don't finish, we don't win. So a really critical part when we know we can do it and there's evidence of it 
is that we properly pace ourselves to make sure that we get past the finish line because it's never over until it's over. So that's the best bit of advice I can give anybody. First, you prepare, and then you perform. And there are specific steps that we do to develop the capacity to be able to successfully prepare ourselves, to perform well, to achieve our most important goals consistently and predictably. What would you say for people listening who are like, I'm just not driven, it's not for me, I'm not that go-getting type A overachieving person, and it's just not in my genes? You know, anytime I hear that, what I think is that a person doesn't know the path, how to get from where they are to where they want to go. And if somebody were to clearly spell that out, the specific steps and prune the steps back where the steps were manageable and the person could see the incremental process and progress that was necessary. I've never known a person that wouldn't stay in the game long enough to achieve their goal. I think a lot of the mythology of goal achievement is that we're encouraged to think big, have a moonshot, have a big, hairy, audacious goal. And I don't know. If, I don't think that's the best place to start. I, I think the place to start is with the goal that's manageable, and have a goal creation process that you follow, so you learn the process and the skill of achieving goals first, and then you can go on to more highly evolved aspirational goals once you've learned the process of goal achievement. I just think it's generally too much, too big. And the mythology is, is that you got to go for the big moonshot first. And I just found that that's not a prescription. I think that that actually leads to goal frustration. Mm. Let's go back and talk about mindset because it is such a huge component of achieving greatness and achieving your goals, not just being an athlete, but in every area of your life. So, How can we get our mind in the game, especially if we have a really loud inner critic? I call it your inner mean girl or your inner bad boy. (laughs) You know, especially if we've got that really loud voice in our head that's like, you won't do this, you can't do that, you won't achieve the goal, you may as well give up. What are some of your tips and advice on how to make sure our mind is in the game. I think the first and foremost thing to understand is really the nature of what the voice really is, the inner critic, you know. And the way that I see it is that our human nature is made up of two mindsets. The first part of human nature is the human mindset. And the human mindset are fear-based impulses. And those fear-based impulses are geared towards achieving one thing, and that's survival. It's all about survival. And when we talk about survival in our human mindset and our fear-based survival instincts, they could care less about excellence because it's not about excellence. It's about survival. And the problem with our survival instincts is that They certainly get first dibs at every moment of our life because survival sometimes is the difference between a split second. So that biology that is programmed into us that's on 24 hours a day that you cannot turn off, it is always there in everyone. It's just that we don't talk about it. We think we're the only one that has it. 
it not only is not capable of creating excellence in our life because that's not its motive, but it also, the very best that it can do for us is repeat history. It cannot create a bigger history for ourselves. The other side of this, though, is that we have the champion's mindset as well, which is the second half of human nature. And the champion's mindset is all about our success instincts. And we do have instincts that are genetically programmed into us that are perhaps even stronger than our fear-based survival impulses that drive us towards creating a life of contribution and value and excellence. And because it's a more highly evolved brain function, it doesn't get first dibs at every moment, but it does override our human fear-based survival instincts. And when we follow the champion's mindset, then it does allow us to make history. And so we have to be clear that there are two mindsets within us that are at war 24 hours a day for control over our decision-making. Our human mindset is all about survival. It's fear-based. The champion's mindset is all about excellence. It's about bigger future. So, for example, if we were given an opportunity, the human mindset would say, well, what do I stand to lose here, Jeff? What do we stand to lose here? Let's make sure that we play a really good defense here, and let's not do anything too risky too soon because there is a high probability that we may fail. Are we sure that we really want to do that? It's pessimistic. It's negative. It's all about constriction, where the champion's mindset response to an opportunity is, what do I stand to gain? It's all about offense. It's about expansion. It's about greatness. It's about contribution. And so we just need to be really mindful that there are these two mindsets within us that are at war with each other 24 hours a day. And we just need to learn what the champion mindset responses are to life and apply those consistently because that's where we go from human in our human nature to becoming superhuman by overriding those fear-based survival instincts. I think that's the most important thing that anybody needs to know about mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for you know, putting that out there. There is two, and we need to be super aware and mindful of which one is, is speaking. So I love that. I think there's another thing that I'd like to add to that, because a lot of people feel that if I do have these voices in my head, that I have to silence the voice before I take action to move forward. You don't. You have to override that by applying the action that has to go right to advance your life forward. We should never feel like we have to overcome or transcend or silence the voice. It, it never happens like that because it's turned on 24 hours a day. It really is all about identifying what are the things that have to go right and actually producing the actions that move us forward. And that's what keeps the voice at bay. That's what silences the voice. Yeah, love that. How important do you think mentors are on our journey to achieving greatness and achieving our goals? You know, for me personally, I have had many different mentors in my life, health, business, personally, spiritually, formal mentors, not so formal. How important do you think it is? Do you feel like everyone needs a mentor or do some people not? 
No, I think everybody needs a variety of different mentors at different times in their life because none of us know enough to peek around the corner into the future to have the wisdom that people have that have preceded us. And I feel that one of the ways that we compress our learning curve to be able to get to our bigger future as quickly as possible to produce as many successes as we can to create a memorable legacy really demands that we make as few as mistakes as possible. But we can't possibly understand what most of the preventable problems are until we unfortunately have the problem and then learn through the experience. But when we have mentors with experience that can point things out in advance so that we prevent preventable problems by not succumbing to them, then we conserve a lot of time, energy, and resources in the process. So I feel that a mentor is absolutely essential in a variety of different categories. You know, we have a variety of different areas of life that, that all need some level of informed input. So I, to me, it's essential. I think to try to do it by yourself, it may take you 20 years to do something that with sound counsel and advice you could do in two years. Mm, I agree. And, you know, being mindful of the legacy that we're leaving with achieving the greatness and the goals that we want to achieve it's not something that we're taught in school. You know, we're not taught to, okay, what legacy do you, they don't, they don't tell you to whip out your pen and paper and, and write down the type of legacy that you want to leave and what is the impact that you want to have on the world and what do you want to be remembered for when you leave this physical body? Like these are not things that are often spoken about. And I think it's so important. You know, it's something that over the past, you know, eight to 10 years for me is something that I've really pondered and something that I'm constantly mindful of with every action I take now is, is going to create my future. And it's something that I'm really, really mindful of. And what would you say to someone who's listening, who has never thought about the legacy that they are going to leave or what they want to be remembered for. Like I think about, I have a 12-year-old bonus son and I think about him and I think when I've left this physical body, what do I want him to say about me? Like what do I want him to talk to his children about, about me? Like what, you know, and I, and I often think about that and I ponder on that. And so then I can reflect on my actions in everyday life and make sure that they're aligned with that legacy. So for people who are listening, who have never pondered this, what, what would you say? What's your advice? When we talk about legacy, I, I, the thing that comes to mind for me is that that's our immortal footprint that's left on the journal of human history for all time that we'll share with people what we did with our time and our talents. And to me, that can tell a very important story that is part of the immortality that we leave behind because like for example my father that was a genius that died homeless you know his legacy is well he was a guy that could but didn't and never will be able to whereas somebody that has traveled a path that has thought about what other people will learn from their life experience that gets left behind may be really a roadmap of how to create a life of personal value, but immense contribution to humanity. And so for me, 
it takes a while to really understand the level of importance of legacy. Generally, you know, people in their 20s and 30s, they're not so interested in that. They're more interested in self-glorification and building monuments to self and acquiring all the stuff. But generally, the payoff that we anticipate from that in terms of enrichment of soul, mind, and spirit eventually wanes. And we realize, well, we thought that was it, but that's not really it at all. And at that point, you know, generally maybe in our 40s, late 30s, maybe 40s, sometimes 50s, this is where we start to look and say, well, you know, Hollywood's promise fell way short of the glory and fulfillment that I was supposed to get from all this, but maybe there's something more. And that's when people really start to look at the value of contribution. I know for myself that when I was literally dying from mercury poisoning about 20 years ago, it's like I didn't want to die, but if I did, I, you know, sometimes that happens. And I, you know, realize that the only thing I was going to be remembered for is what I gave people. And the only thing I was taking with me is what I did give people. And that changed my life permanently forever, where I have just felt and I found that there's a certain liberation in giving up things that we think we need for ourselves and our own security when we do something on behalf of other people to such an extent that my wife and I, we adopted a 10 year old from Columbia almost 10 years ago. And she came from a brutal, horrific background, the likes of which I would never wish on anybody. But I was 58 when we adopted her, and people said, are you crazy? And it's like, well, maybe so, meaning that I, for the rest of my life, I was going to spend devoted to raising that child. And we certainly committed to giving everything that, that she needed to be able to break the chains of her horrific past and become a full potential player in today's world. And you know, to me, that was the most important thing I've ever done because it really called me to a much higher game than I had despite the successes that I had. But, you know, there was something that, that wasn't a sacrifice whatsoever. I mean, that was an outreach that I believe represents what we should all be doing for each other at that level of commitment. And so the reason why I did it was was not about what attention it drew to me. I could care less about that. It was really about you know, this child didn't ask for the horrific acts of cruelty that were imposed upon her, but yet she does deserve a chance to, to manifest what she's capable of. And I, I could tell you through the miracle and an act of God and the guidance that we've been given. And when she came to America, when we adopted her, she didn't speak English. We didn't speak Spanish. We used primitive sign language to communicate. That's all we had. And she had no school. So she was in America. Now, now, what do we do with that? And I can only tell you that even 10 days ago, she completed her first year in college, which is an absolute miracle, being able to come back from the liability that she was faced with. And so for us, that was a legacy decision. Again, not to grandstand and call attention to us, but to really the honor, the, the privilege of life itself and to be able to contribute in a way that will then influence the people that she connects with. And so what we did for her then has a ripple effect that will literally affect each and every person in some way on the face of the earth. And I just feel that it's, it's important that we understand that, that the call to legacy generally comes a little bit later in life. And we have to kind of not get ahead of ourselves, you know, but, but when it does show up, we need to heed it. And we need to address it. We need to cultivate it and take action on it. Because at the end of the day, you know, we all face our mortality and realize that our, our life needs to count for something bigger than 
us in a certain sense, and we're not insignificant. But I, I do believe that we do have an honor obligation to fulfill our duty as being given a privilege to participate in, in this life experience by contributing to others so that they have a similar opportunity. Mm, beautiful. You say that going to the Olympics was easier than raising oh, totally. a daughter. <laughs> totally. How so? <laughs> well, you know, the Olympics, all you do is turn the pedals faster than anybody else and you go. And, <laughs> you know, that's a, a singular thing that when you're talking about you really become a custodian for a person's legacy, that's what a parent is. You know, you're, you're entrusted with their future and how they view and respond to life. And that's to me is a very lofty calling. And so for us with the complexities of my daughter's challenges that have every risk against her times 10, I don't think that's any different than any other parent because there is no manual for it, but we learn and grow because of the challenge that we face as a parent that forces us to dig deep into an honest evaluation of self and a petition and a call to be given the wisdom to affect the child that ushers the child along and develops and provides them with the skills necessary to be self-sufficient in humanity and to honor their talents and their life opportunity and to, to be a contributing member of a society that, that brings honor to the human race. And to me, that's not a trivial matter. You know, that's like an honor obligation that has to be fulfilled. And with our daughter, despite the skills that I had helping athletes win gold medals, helping business people make millions, helping rock bands do platinum albums, I mean, all of those other things that I've done, raising the daughter and the vigilance that's required every day to be the you know, custodian of their future and to be vigilant to make the right choices, not as a helicopter parent, but as an advocate for them to, as, and as I told my daughter, be mindful that there's ever a kid in the history of humanity that deserves a break, it's her. And there are two things that I did that I think really made the difference. From day one, when we adopted her, we didn't speak Spanish, she didn't speak English, everything was sign language, and I'm honest to God telling you the truth on that. I told her from day one when she went to school, which is a couple of weeks after she arrived here in America, I said, don't be average. The first thing I told her every day, I said, kid, don't forget, don't be average. I said that every day for 10 years. And it sunk in. The other thing I told her is that, you know, look, if anybody deserves a break in life, it's you. But I have to tell you that you have to earn your place on the team. No free gifts. And that was not easy to say or to adhere to because... Uh, the depravity and the cruelty of her experience. She deserved every consideration, but I just knew that that's not going to help her become who she needs to be to be self-actualizing. And she kind of appreciates that now. She didn't earlier, of course. But I think that, again, it was hard for that reason because, you know, my intention wasn't to be a half-parent or a third parent, but to step into whatever the obligation was that was required of me, I would step into that. And I can honestly say to you and your audience, Melissa, that these 10 years, I've been on survival every day of my life for 10 years, meaning that, you know, the challenges have been significant. It's been relenting in its requirement to stay vigilant to things, to hold a firm ground, 
I can only say that there's been nothing like this in my entire life. I've had no relief for 10 years. But it doesn't matter. You know, there's always enough energy to do anything on behalf of other people when you're really committed to it, which my wife and I really have been. And I don't think there is a reward that even comes close. A gold medal doesn't even come close to the gratitude that one experiences when you see your child start to become self-sufficient and being able to toe their weight in society. And you see the face of confidence starting to emerge from someone at one point in their life where there was no hope. All there was was a gray tunnel of despair with no light at the end of any tunnel whatsoever. And so that's why I say that it's difficult because there's no time out. You know, the time out may be the time when you blink where they revert back to a behavior that permanently disrupts their path forward. And I just feel that it, for us, it took that level of vigilance to service the obligation that we signed up for that my daughter deserves that I had no reservation about giving. There's another important point I'd like to make, if I might, is that, you know, people said, well, didn't this take a toll on your career? And if, if you look at it and say, well, yeah, I was at the pinnacle of my career then, of course, when we adopted her, did it take a hit? Yeah, it took a hit. But it's like I never looked at it as a concession or a compromise. I, I really, quite honestly, I always felt, well, you know, if I step into this with my conviction, I, I really believe that, you know, that gives God an opportunity to show me a faster, bigger way to a better that I can't come up with myself. But also, I want to say that I was never a bargain. That was never a deal that I made. That was not an expectation in return for anything. You know, I'm fully prepared to step into anything that was required to service my obligation that I wanted to fulfill without any contingencies or reciprocity whatsoever. And I do feel that that's an important part of the message because, in my opinion, you know, if you come from your human fear-based survival instincts, your impulses and your choices are always going to be out of what you stand to think you lose. And that's no way to do life, in my opinion. You know, we have to do things out of what we perceive we stand to gain through honor and through our motivation and purpose and intent behind what we're doing. Because to me, that's what creates the richness that fulfills the void that Hollywood's promise never delivers on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh, this is such great information. And, and you know, parenting is definitely a huge classroom. It's where we <laughs> grow. And not for the faint of heart. <laughs> yeah. It's where we grow and, and learn a lot. So thank you for sharing that. I'd love to hear, what do you attribute all of your success to? If you had to pin it down, what would it be? I, I would say, first and foremost, I've always been receptive to possibility and pursuing the prospects of what's possible. And I've always had a natural curiosity and that when things are presented to me where I feel like I'm a bit called to them, I'm fearless about engaging them and doing what's necessary to evolve them as far as they can go. You know, I, I did that with the uh, sporting call that made the Olympics. I did that with art. You know, I was a glass art sculptor and was kind of called to that and showed in the best galleries in New York City. And so there are other things that I've done, four or five different categories similar to that. And I can only say that when there's something that I'm called to, that I know I'm committed to do, I just go all in on it. But 
there's a qualification to this to say that I've, I've never done anything to create a monument to self to fill a void that I didn't have within myself. I was never motivated by someone saying, well, you can't do it, so I'm going to do it to show you that I can. I'd never found that that was an adequate motivation for me. It was purely out of respect to, to honor the privilege of you know, being given an opportunity and in, in doing that and being fearless. And I, and I don't mean reckless. I mean, being fearless about answer the calling that's given me a, an extra kind of energy source to get things done that hasn't taken a lot of substance out of me because it was never based on me for my own glory or my own security. It was never based on fear of loss or need for excess security. I always kind of felt like if I honored the privilege, then part of the reward would be to be always have enough to do what I needed to do and, and fulfill my obligations. The other thing that I would say is that I guess a unique quality about me that I've been told by others, but I wouldn't know because I'm stuck with myself every day, was that you know I can start things and I can also finish things. I can think big, I can embrace big, but I can also finish the job and stay in the game long enough and have the tenacity to, to see things through. And, and part of the reason for that too, Melissa, as I mentioned earlier, that step eight in the goal achievement roadmap is the daily grind. And that's where, you know, you're in a period in your life where it, it seems like you're putting all this time and effort into something and you're not getting any evidence or progress anywhere close to what you think you deserve from the time and effort. But I've never looked at that as a sign that it's the wrong project. I always felt that that's where I was building my skill. And I kind of knew that any goal that was worth pursuing, I needed to learn how to get through the daily grind. Because if you can't confront the daily grind, then you're not going to really achieve any goals of much substance. Because part of any goal that you know, carries a significance to it always has a daily grind part to it. It's never easy. But if you know that in advance and you recognize it and you know what to do, then you need not fear it or misinterpret it. And I also knew that when I had the belief that I could do it, I kind of thought that I could, but I still had some doubt that I knew that I had to achieve a breakout to confirm to myself and team and others that this was for real and that we actually can do this. So that when we did achieve that named experience, as evidence that we could do it at that point when we had knowing, then it was essentially over. So the model that I use, the goal achievement roadmap, was birthed from my history and experience and what I observed. Nobody taught that to me. And I feel that if you have a roadmap that, that it's proven itself to deliver on the promise of repetitive goal achievement consistently and predictably, and the model shows you where you are, at every moment, as if you're on a map watching a GPS and you know where you are and you can name it and you know what to do, then you can be confident in the process itself. And if the process is progressive, you can look back and see what you didn't do that maybe you need to do that could potentially create a preventable stall later. And you address the problem before it becomes manifest. And if you have a map to follow, you can peek around the corner a couple of steps downstream and see what's coming so that you can avoid preventable problems and prepare yourself for probable opportunities. 
The other thing I'll say to this is that I always had good help. I always had great mentors that helped interpret for me what I was experiencing so that my human fear-based survival instincts would not misinterpret my experience and talk me out of something that could be potentially very good for me. So roadmap to follow, mentorships to provide advice, showing up every day and doing the action steps to propel things forward. Those were the three things. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing. And we're always growing and learning and evolving. So what is one thing that you're working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? The most important thing for me at the moment is to really pace myself and stay in the game and be able to take what I know and share with others to shortcut their path to their own greatness. And what I mean by that is I'm 67. I don't know what 67 is supposed to look or feel like, but I don't feel like or act like either, in my opinion, because I have a 19-year-old daughter and I've kept myself in really good health. But but what I do know is that as we start to age, we start to consider the effects of mortality and time. And many people start to panic at that and they start to feel like time's running out. So they start to try to do as many things as possible before the hourglass runs out. And I feel that when we do that, then we're acting out of fear and we're actually shortening our productive longevity by doing that because we're sleeping less. We carry more anxiety. We're trying to do more that scrambles our brains. We make more unforced mental errors. I think that when we get to that place that we need to pull back and we need to relax and we need to pace ourselves and make sure that our recoveries are good from day to day. We surround ourselves with positive people that we love and they love us. We eat and we exercise enough to stay healthy and well, and that we remain optimistic to stay around youthful mentalities and vital minds that are always looking for innovations and that we stay an active participant in the game. So that's something that I am absolutely vigilant and adhere to very aggressively. Love it. Thank you for sharing that. You don't want to blow yourself up early. I see people doing that all the time. Yeah, totally. You know, they sleep less. They try to get somewhere too quickly. And they feel like if they don't sleep less and try harder, then somebody's going to take their place in line or their idea. And eventually, you know, between 40 and 60, they have a catastrophic illness or some type of relationship detonation that, that just annihilates them in its devastation. And all of that is completely preventable. Mm, absolutely. Totally agree with you. Now, let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. What is the one book that you would choose? It would actually be my goal achievement roadmap. And the reason why I say that is not because I created it or that's what I want for myself, but I feel like the fundamental, essential, primal life skill is goal achievement. Because if we have big dreams and we think good thoughts and we have a lot of gratitude, but we don't know how to achieve goals, then there's no way that we're going to be able to manifest a legacy and create a life of value that we're capable of. And I feel like the idea and the mythology around goal setting is so ubiquitous and the traditional methods of goal achievement are insufficient is a matter of fact, to such an extent that 85% of all the people that I know have goal frustration, meaning that they know they're capable of more, but no matter what they do, they're willing, they have great attitudes, they deserve to win, but yet no matter what they do, they just can't move the needle like they think that they should. 
And I think a lot of that has to do with the methods that they're employing to be able to achieve the goals can't possibly deliver. So they live lives of despair and they feel like they're incapable. And I believe a lot of that's the model, as you said earlier, that you know we're, we're not taught certain things in school. And this is the one thing that we're not taught. We're taught to regurgitate facts. We're, we're taught to write essays. And we're taught to set goals, but but goal setting is not goal achievement. And if you set the goal, which is actually the easy part, but you cannot create it, then we kind of create a legacy and, and live a life that's not even close to what we're capable of. So whether it's my model, I think my model answers the question better than anything out there at this point in time. I don't care where it comes from, but I think that people do need to learn and they do need to master the primal life skill, which is how to achieve goals. Yeah, I love that. What about another book, not your book? Any others that have really been impactful for you that you think would be super powerful in the school curriculum? Well, I think certainly we need books on, on ethics because I really feel that in today's world where we do whatever it takes to win, I'm not sure that that's the best recipe for creating the best quality of life and life experience for the individual or a culture. And I really feel like we do need to take, I'm just speaking from my context that, you know, here, you know, in America that test scores or whatever test scores are, but I I look at the quality of interaction of people and I feel like we kind of do need to look at life through the ideas of, not so much what our rights are, but what our privileges are and, and what we're willing to do to, to honor and cultivate and maintain those so that other people have a playing field and an environment to be able to express themselves to their highest potential. And I, I, I do see an erosion of uh, character and integrity, and that does concern me. Mm, yeah. Now, I'd love to hear about your morning routine. I love hearing about how people prime themselves for the day and set themselves up for the day and being an Olympian, a past Olympian. Like, what do you do? How do you set yourself (laughs) up for the day? Well, first off, I I don't need an alarm clock. I wish I didn't have to sleep so I could get something done. So really the way that my morning ritual, it goes like this. First thing in the morning, when I have a first awareness that there's a new day there, there's a certain level of consciousness that, that we all have. And the brain wave that's operational there is called a theta wave. And theta wave is the deepest source of meditation. That's where massive revelation takes place. And so in the morning, when I have that first awareness of a new day, I kind of lay in bed and I kind of check in with my conscious awareness and see what's in the inbox there. And are there any revelations that I should be mindful of that only present themselves in that theta brainwave state? Because sometimes some of the best problems are solved and the solutions gifted at that time. The second thing that I do is that I'll do some level of meditative art or prayer that kind of puts me in an alpha state as I gradually start to engage the day with some slow movement to breath to warm up and elongate the body and to synchronize the brain with the breath because the breath and rhythmic breathing is a metronome for the mind. What that does, that sets the mental tone of the day. It puts me at a place of 
choice in how I'm going to engage people. It sets the biologic tone for my body's ability to do the physical actions necessary for that day. And then it takes about 15 or 20 minutes. And then I'll have breakfast, which is generally a smoothie after I take some vitamins and stuff. Pretty vigorous about that. Then I'll take a peek at the daily schedule just to remind myself of who I'm going to engage when throughout the day and what some of the buttons that I expect to be pushed will be so I can then put on the armor and put on my war paint to successfully engage the day. So at the end of the day, it's the product of my vision. I've not made everybody else's emergency my problem. And it's really important that we do that. I feel that if you jump into life too quickly by sleeping in a little bit longer and get up to a panic state of getting ready, that your mind is already racing. I feel that when the mind races too quickly in the day, then we're vulnerable to the things that people say and do that can throw us off balance quickly. And then the day can unravel from that. I feel that, you know, by getting up systematically and going through some of these things that I mentioned to you previously, it helps us progressively get into the day and again, kind of put the armor on so that we're coming to the day from a place of mental composure, from a conscious awareness of some of the challenges that we may face. And we have strategies to successfully engage those. And then there's two other really important rituals is that when I'm ready to begin the professional day, I always look at three pictures and I look at these three pictures every day consciously to be very mindful of the three pictures that remind me why I'm doing this. I look at a picture of my wife and myself. I'm doing what I do to honor our marriage. And I look at a picture of my daughter and I'm doing this to provide her the opportunity to be a manifester with an extraordinary story to tell. And then I look at a representation of the people that I interface with, which would also include like the podcast that we're doing together. And this reminds me of why I need to show up and be the best version of myself for other people, you know, because the day is not about what the day gives me. It's about what I give the day. And I, I want to have a conscious reminder of that. It's not a ritual where I casually do it, half thinking about it, but being very purposely and deliberately there with it. And then the final thing that I do, which is probably the most important of all, is that before I talk with the very first person professionally, I make a decision on how I'm going to show up. Meaning that, am I going to show up from my highest level of service to other people And though I have some personal challenges that's got nothing to do with my engagement with them, and I'm going to give them everything that I've got to deliver on my end of the deal for the reason for the engagement and call them to a higher game in the process, or am I going to show up and let my emotions dictate conditionality how I will respond to other people, which I will absolutely refuse to do, you know? But it has to be a deliberate choice because that's not our natural state. You know, our natural state is to be moody and pout, you know, be a little bit sloppy and lazy and a little bit gossipy and things like that, you know, and that's, I have no interest in that. But yet I'm a human and there are tendencies. And so I have to override all that stuff and make a conscious decision every day that I'm going to come from the champion space, not to put on a front or not to deny my humanness but to provide people with the level of interaction that they deserve that I want to provide for them 
And I want to be an advocate for them and care enough about them to call them to the highest game possible. So those are my morning rituals. Love it. Choosing the champion mindset. It's super, super powerful. Now I've got three rapid fire questions for you. Oh boy, the lightning round. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What is one thing that we can do today for our health? I think the most important thing is to do uh, some stretching every day. Yeah, I agree. And, And the reason why I say that, yeah, is that stretching when the tissues are elongated, then the joints that make up the body expand and we go vertical in gravity. So it takes less energy to move and the body acts as a shock absorber. So we have a natural resiliency and we move with an economy of energy. So I think stretching or even better like yoga, Tai Chi or Qigong. Mm, I love, I love Qigong oh, and yoga. Yeah, me too. Oh man, my body thrives on it. Yeah, it's beautiful. All right. What is one of the most important things that we can do today for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Decide on a goal that you want to pursue for yourself that has personal meaning to you. Make this something really personal to yourself, perhaps something that you've never done before, but you've always wanted to do. Make a commitment to spend some time daily aspiring to be able to achieve that. And what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life? I think for sure, without a doubt, is to extend love. You know, if you want love, extend it, give it away, you know. And that's the one thing that I learned from my daughter. It's like, you know, we know we're not our biologic parents, but you know what? You can love anybody. You just decide you're going to do it and you do it. You don't need a special occasion. It doesn't need to be a special person. You know, it's a state of personal being. And when we give more without any conditional attachment to any reciprocation, that's where we start to feel our enrichment and we start to become fulfilled from within. Mm, Beautiful. I love that. Now, I'm a massive believer in service and being of service. I want to know how can I and the listeners serve you today? Gosh, well, thanks for asking us. Very so generous of you. The thing that I would suggest that everybody does is that if you go to my website, www.drjeffspencer.com, D-R-J-E-F-F-S-P-E-N-C-E-R.com, if you go to the website, on the website, you can enter your email address and you can get this paper that I wrote that's called Three Ways Not to Blow It Just Before You Succeed. And just take the time to read that because there are certain things, one of the things that I've observed is that when people get very close to a personal breakthrough, more often than not, people blow it because they do three things that are preventable that disable them from achieving something that they richly deserve to have that would empower them with a level of confidence and self to move to a much higher level of personal performance. Please take the time to do that. And by entering your email address, you'll also be gaining access to my podcasts, my blogs, and the little weekly blips, which are paragraphs that I write about things that I think that are important for all of us to know, to do, to become our own champions. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I will link to that in the show notes so that people can head on over to your website. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much, not only for your time today, but for the work that you're doing out there in the world. You are such a beautiful, present, really loving human being. And I'm so grateful that we've been able to connect today 
And I just wanted to thank you so much for being here and for the work you're doing. Well, that's very generous of you to say that. And kind of in closing here, I'll say that, you know, there's always room at the top for the best and we're not in competition with anybody else. And, you know, please be mindful of that there's only one of you in all of creation and there's 7 billion people on this planet right now and there's only one of you which gives us unique qualifications to do the extraordinary. So I want to wish everybody an encouraging word to say that your best work is in front of you and, and to be faithful and to, to reach out and pursue the brass ring is the best advice I can give anybody. So Melissa, thanks again for the privilege. It was just absolutely extraordinary. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for being here. How epic was that? It was so great to hear a different perspective, you know, coming from a world-class athlete. I just thought that was so awesome. And I got so much out of today's episode, especially on the goal-setting stuff. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that Jeff and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 133. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. And I just wanted to remind you that if you haven't got your hands on my latest book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships, and Soulful Sex, all you have to do is head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And whilst you're there, you will get access to my free Open Wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. Do not forget to check it out. It is awesome. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes and leave me a review now. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best and shiniest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can do that by taking a screenshot, sharing it on your social media, emailing it to them, texting it to them. Just do whatever you've got to do to get it in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.